0: Lord, it's so good to be together. We just love the church. Love what, you've, what you do in the church and love how you've entrusted to us the gospel and call us to preach it, to declare it. It's the greatest thing in all the world, is to be here and be with your people. and There's no place you'd rather be. This is the reason why we exist, to make much of you and to just focus and dial in on the word. So we're asking now for you to give our hearts um, openness and a level of softness to hear what you want to say. I pray you'd minister some healing balm to some folks today who, their life's pretty tough, and um, the idea of being grateful is kind of hard. So I'm just praying that you'd use today just to be like a ballast in their heart, just to encourage them, press them on. And, and Father, for people today who might not know you as Savior, that you would just open their eyes to the reality of what they are missing if they don't receive Christ. Mm. Lord, just bring people to your throne today. And We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, my uh, family was sitting around the dining room table at the condominium where we were staying, and uh, we were opening all of the cards that you had sent us in our open house. And and it was sort of like you know Christmas in um, Indianapolis for us. Uh, Our our kids wanted to be part of the celebration, and so imagine this this table, and we've got little stacks of cards for all of our kids to open. So we kind of went around the circle, and they would open it up and and, uh, read to us the card, and it was just a great moment, and they were opening it up, and, oh, look, look at this and that. And then pretty soon, Savannah caught on that this was a party, and uh, she wanted to be a part of it. So she jumped up on a chair, and uh, she started pointing at the uh, stack of cards, and so we gave her a little stack, and so she started opening it up, and then she would pretend like she was reading it, you know, upside down, and go, ah, you know, and all this stuff. And, and then she put the card down, and she did this. She ran over to Daddy and hugged Daddy's leg and said, thank you, Daddy, thank you. <laughs> I was like, sweet, this is fun. So she kept, come on, open some more, baby. So she opened some more, and, and she went over to Mama, and she grabbed Mama, thank you, Mama. And then the boys caught on, because you got to understand that hugs and kisses from Savannah, it's like a drug, is what it is. I mean, it's just like, you know, you just want more of it. And and, and so she um, she comes and she's giving her brothers hugs. The boys are like, come on, thank us, thank us. And so she's coming and, and giving them uh, hugs and kisses. And, and I said to the boys, I said, you know what, you need to realize that, All of what she feels in our heart, all she, what she feels inside of her heart is only, as I said, because of the people of College Park. So she was thanking us, but the reality was you, by your kindness to us, created gratitude in her heart. Kindness on your part created gratitude in her heart that she reflected to us. And so I was able to sit there and I wasn't just thankful for my children, but I was thankful for you thankful for you, and and your grace and your kindness created gratitude in our hearts to God for you. And this morning, that's exactly what we're talking about from the book of Colossians. It is that growth and grace are God-given gifts that should lead to gratitude. So growth, meaning I'm growing in Christ like this, I'm receiving the gifts that God has given, the word, Lord's table, the Spirit, I'm I'm changing. And because of that reality of change, people look at your life and they say, man, you are different. There's no way, that is so not, they know you and there's no way that you could be like that by yourself. And what they see is they see the product of God's grace in your life and you become a conduit of gratitude to God. Your life change, your um, the grace that you receive become a mirror, a, a bounce back to God, where people see you and they go, wow, look at what God has done in your life. Look at what God has done in and through you. And so today when we celebrate <clears throat> both Pentecost and Mother's Day and the Lord's Table, I, I want to call you to make your life a conduit of gratitude. I, I want to call you to be um, 2,000 plus people whose testimony is Jesus changed us. He's the core and have people look at your lives and as a result magnify God and glorify God because of how radically different you are. This morning we're going to see this in the uh, book of Colossians and, and figure out what are the core ingredients to gratitude. And I have a whiteboard here and I'm going to illustrate something. Now a little Caveat, I'm not a good illustrator, okay? and the point of my illustration on the whiteboard is so that you can kind of seal in your mind this image that I think captures Paul's message in the book, and for those of you over here, don't worry, the guys in the sound booth are going to help you be able to see this. So here's, whoops, see, I told you, <laughs> got those legs a little off, sorry. There's a <laughs> Here's you, smiley face. There we go, smiley face, and um, you know, if you're a mom, you have a little flower thing like that, or a boutonniere. Okay, so there's you, and out of your life, Paul says, "Look, we see your life, and the result is that gratitude is expressed to God, and we see this wonderful." Thought process that the apostle Paul has as he thinks about the church at Colossae and we begin in verse three of chapter one. He begins this letter with these words. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he tells this church at Colossae, look, when we gather to pray, every time we think about you, our hearts are lifted in gratitude to God for what we see happening in your lives. Notice a couple things about this phrase, we always thank God. We, it's a plural, meaning Paul and his associates that were there with him in that prison cell or were ministering to him. It probably is that... Paul and these men gathered for prayer on a regular basis together and they prayed about the landscape of the churches and that they administered in. And when they, when they thought about Colossae, they maybe said something like this, well, we pray for the believers at Colossae and we just thank you God for what you're doing there. And what Paul says is when we think of you, when we pray for you, gratitude flows from our hearts about you because Paul was thrilled with what was taking place at the church. And then he also says that he thanks God, and notice very specifically, the Father of Jesus Christ. This fits, doesn't it, with the theme of Colossians? Jesus is the core. Jesus is the center. We don't make him supreme. He is supreme. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. He's the center of the universe. He holds everything together like we just sang. And he says we thank the Father of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here is this, the Greek word for prayer, prosukamai, means that when we're communicating to God, when we're talking to God about you, our hearts are lifted in gratitude to God. We think of you, we think what's happening in your lives, and the product of what we say to God about you is, God, thank you. So here's my question as we start out. When people see you, do they think, oh, good God, or oh, help me, God, here they come when they when they see you coming down the hallway are you the kind of person that man they they see your life and they're like wow god you did so many wonderful things in that person's life or are you the kind of person that they're like oh thank you god that conversation is done and they're on to somebody else you see what paul wants here and what he's celebrating is that this church was a group of people that when he considered them and thought about them his heart was lifted in thankfulness to god they had become conduits of God's grace. And so he says, we thank God for you. The Greek word there, Eucharisto. Some of you in religious backgrounds, you'll know another word, Eucharist, right? The word Eucharisto means good grace. It's a combination of two words, um, The word meaning grace, meaning I've received a gift from God. So it's the idea that it flows from God, everything is from God. And then eucharisto means this is a good thing from God, meaning this helps us. This is something that we say to God, you've done something wonderful, something good in their lives, and praise and adoration is lifted up to God. And the form of the verb means that it happens continually. It's happening all the time. Paul sees them. He thinks upon them. He prays for them. And as he does, he's continually thinking about how good God is and what he's done. Now, you need to know that the theme of gratitude is all over the New Testament, and particularly it's all over the book of Colossians. And what we see is this. This is very important, that people who get Christ at the center are both first filled with gratitude And people are filled with gratitude about them. In other words, when Jesus becomes the core, gratitude flows from your heart to him, and as people see you, they're thankful to God for you. I want to show you this. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. There's two other verses. For the sake of time this morning, we're only going to look at one. Colossians 3.15. So it says this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Meaning, let... The shalom in the Hebrew. Let, let the understanding of who Christ is, what the Gospels we'll talk about later, let that rule in your hearts in, to indeed what you were called in one body and be thankful. So again, the product of understanding Christ, understanding the Gospel, making Jesus central, is a heart that fundamentally is filled with thankfulness. And my guess is, there's some of you this morning, that that fits you. You're just known as a grateful person. And in large part, it's because of the fact that you understand the beauty of the cross, all of what happened to you, and it just radically transformed your life. There's others of you who just by your personality, you're thankful. You're just kind of a happy-go-lucky, everyone would wish they had your personality. And the reality is, even though you're externally grateful, internally, you got to work harder at being Christ-centered, not just emotional. And there's others of you who are very circumstantial. In your living. I mean, you never know. Husband comes home, you never know if he's going to you know, come to wife A or wife B. You know what I mean? Good day, bad day. You could have lots of gratitude or, man, life stinks. And some of us need to work harder on how do I maintain a heart full of gratitude when I don't feel like being thankful. And let me tell you one of the things that relates to being having Christ at the core that really affects gratitude and thankfulness. It is that people who understand Christ at the core have been so transfixed by the beauty of what happened to them in grace that everything they see is informed by the cross. Meaning, they see everything in light of how gracious God has been to them. So they fundamentally believe this, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve a raise I don't deserve green lights I don't deserve a tax refund I don't deserve your praise I don't deserve your affirmation Why? Because if I got what I deserved I'd be in a Christless eternity called hell And everything is grace And everything beyond that Is just a product of God's wonderful provision to me And so they see life through this lens Everything comes from God Everything is grace Everything is all because of the work of Christ And they've been so in love with that And they're so passionate about that That it informs everything. It changes how they see everything. Even hardships, and cancer and difficulties and abuse in the past. They look at present realities and difficulties and they see it all through this beautiful lens of grace. It, the, the gospel informs how they see life. A crazy thing happened to me while I'm studying this text. I'm seeing this, I'm reading this, I'm praying this through. It informs everything, 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 everything. And I hear this, I hear this song in my head. You ever had like a commercial song in your head, you know, the kind of ditty that somebody writes, and you're like, that's the most annoying song in the world, and yet you can't get it out of your head? Remember around the Christmas season, there was this commercial, they didn't write a song to it, thankfully, but it was the head-on thing, remember that? Head-on, 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 you wanted to go head-on, right? You wanted to be quiet, right? This is an annoying commercial, but now you remember it, right? Because it's so annoying, they they were successful. Well, when I was a kid, um, there was this little ditty that uh, was sung, Uh, relative to this particular kind of candy. It's a Tootsie Roll. And uh, the wording on the song, I looked this up, you you can Google anything, and I could Google this. Tootsie Roll song, here's what it says. Here's the song. Notice the immense theology behind this. (laughs) Tootsie Roll, how I love your chocolatey chew. Tootsie Roll, I think I'm in love with you. Now here it is, some of you sing this with me. And whatever it is, I think I see becomes a Tootsie Roll to me. Yeah, I test marketed that with the staff, and they are like, we have no idea what you're talking about. So, I'm so glad. A couple of them got it. I'm so glad. So, notice that song. Uh, Whatever it is I think I see becomes a Tootsie Roll to me. It was a bunch of kids running around a playground, and everything they saw became Tootsie Rolls. They saw trees and playgrounds and boop, 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 little uh, little a hounds become Tootsie Rolls with legs. Whatever it is they think they saw became a Tootsie Roll to them. Here's the thing. When it comes to grace, everything you see Becomes grace to you. You see everything. A little baby that's born into your family. You see a Mother's Day with table full of family and friends. You, 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 you see the, the value of the word. And you see all of it in light of this is God's grace to me. And where does that come from? Here's where that comes from. It comes from a fundamental passion and love for Christ, the gospel, and the cross. Don't you think for a moment that the only thing that the cross relates to is the forgiveness of your sins. That was the beginning of a wonderful relationship with God, and now the cross relates to everything. Or Christ is core. He's the heart. And so what Paul says is that out of the overflow of your understanding of what has happened in your heart, gratitude now flows to our hearts and becomes the essence of what defines us. And also the essence of how we see life. So two questions for you. The first is this. Do you see life that way? I mean, really. Do you see life through the lens of grace? Do you see life through the lens of the cross? Or do you see life through a lens of how I can best have my needs met? Do you see life through a lens of fairness? Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. One of our favorite things in our home to say, well, life isn't fair and the cross wasn't fair, right? It's not fair. See, seeing life through that lens. The second question I have for you is, does anybody... In your life, reflect gratitude to God because of the change that they see in you. Could your husband today, mom, say, God, I'm thankful today because of how unbelievably different my spouse is because of the cross. Let me put it this way. um, How much praise to God did your life create this week? See, I want College Park to be filled with people who are like spiritual telescopes. The glory of God, you see it. doesn't make the glory of God any bigger than what it really is. But like a spiritual telescope, you bring the glory of God into greater clarity and focus. You magnify it. It'll make it bigger than what it really is. But you help little people see how big God is. And you do that by the amazing change in your lives. And gratitude then flows to God. The second thing Paul says is that this... Gratitude comes because they're growing by grace. Look at verse 5. Because of the hope, or rather verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So, again, back to my illustration. You got this guy, hopefully you, maybe a mom, creating gratitude to God, and Paul says, we're seeing something in you that's creating this gratitude. We're seeing something in you, and what is it that he sees? Well, he lists it there, doesn't he? It's a very familiar triad. Faith, hope, and what's the third one? Love, right. You'll see it right there, except it doesn't in a little different order. We'll explain why. Faith, love, and hope. Notice that this faith first is in Jesus Christ. No doubt it's mentioned first because this is how you came to a right relationship in, with God in the first place. You placed your faith into Christ. But this little word in is a little different. It doesn't mean into like you placed your faith into. That's assumed. It means faith in the realm of Jesus Christ. This is really important. It means that once you've been placed in Christ, that now what Paul sees in them is not that they place their faith in Christ once. No, it's a much bigger thing. He sees that as they are living out what it means to be now in Christ, since they've died with God Uh, Colossians chapter 3, they've set their minds on things above and the result is they're living a life of faith in Christ. So they trusted Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, but then they discovered how to live a life of trusting Christ all day long. So the faith he's talking about are people who know how to be able to connect Christ and the cross and their daily lives. They're living in faith in Jesus Christ. They're saying, Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. I hope in you. When impossible situations come in front of them, they're saying, look, I believe that you're stronger than this. I mean, I believe that you're the core, Jesus, that you're sovereign and king. And this is nothing for you. And these people were living in faith in the person and work of Christ. Then they also are commended because of their love for all the saints. There's this um, love that they have for one another. And I hope that you understand that real faith produces real love. Galatians 5, verse 6 says faith works through love. Or one of my favorite passages, 1 Corinthians 13:2 says that if you have incredible faith, but you don't have love, you're what? Nothing, right? You can have all kinds of faith. You can have all kinds of spiritual heritage, all sorts of abilities, but if you don't have love, Paul says you are nothing. So faith and love go hand in hand. Let me show you this in another passage. Look at First Thessalonians five and verse eight. You know we talk about the um, the uh, nature or what it means for the armor of God, from the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. But here Paul lists the armor of God a little bit differently, and it's interesting how he combines these two faith. And then he also says love. Look at it first Thessalonians five eight. It says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So notice again, there's that triad, right? Faith, hope, and love. So here's what happens. When Christ becomes the center of a faith-filled life, the result is love for other people. So when Jesus becomes central in the church, you'll have people who place their trust in Christ and they figure out how to love one another. And they'll do that in a myriad of ways. It's just the natural expression of real faith in Christ. And then finally, we see the word hope. Paul identifies that faith and love are directly connected to hope laid up in heaven for you. You see, what he's saying here is hope laid up in heaven means that when a a person comes to Christ, they place their hope in Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection... And when they do that, when you do that, you are placing your hope that Christ's death will result in a reconciliation between you and God because your sin separates you from God and Christ, by the cross, brings you back together with God. But you don't see that right now. You may feel it in your heart, but we're waiting for the day when that reconciliation will be clear and evident. Further... A reconciliation that then also results in us receiving the understanding of what the point was of everything we experienced in life and realizing that the glory of what happens in us, making us like Christ, now makes sense. So here's the thing. You will not be able to make sense of life in this lifetime. You won't. So quit trying to do it we trying to figure it out, explain it, find all sorts of reasons you can't figure out God. And the sooner you realize that, the greater you grab a hold of that and simply stake your claim on this. Look, my hope is in heaven, and there's hope there. And Paul says, I see your faith, I see your hope, and it's a hope that's laid up for you in a future realm. Let me show you this in a number of passages. Colossians 3.2. People who think this way, in light of the cross, in light of grace, they set their minds on things above they think of this way they think about this stuff they have to because if they don't think about it the natural inclination of their heart will pull them away from these truths and then romans 8 says they they know that nothing can separate us from the love of god in christ they also know romans eight eighteen that they view present sufferings as not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed they, they look at suffering and they know yes this is hard It's hard when someone's got cancer, someone's dying, or or, uh, a spouse is unfaithful, or a child because they'll wander away from the faith. That's hard. But what they do is they see that differently. They see that in light of the cross and the desire to become like Christ, and they know that the sufferings of this world, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to happen in us, and they value that glory more than an easy life. And when Christianity gets weird and people become bitter and the church becomes really messed up is when people want an easy life and they want Christ to bring it to them. And Jesus said, in this world you will have, what? Tribulation. You see, the reality is, radical God-centeredness like this creates praise to Him because people look at your life and go, how are you making it? Answer, God's helping me. And Paul says, "This is what i 'm thankful for. I see this in you." Another passage, first Peter one four, no matter what the devil the world or the flesh throws at us, we have an inheritance that 's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So nobody can touch this. nobody you can 't even touch this. And then look at Romans eight and eight and nineteen. in the meantime we, we groan, we wait for the longing to be revealed. The revealing of the sons of God. So there's a sense that there's more to come. There's more that we're longing for. And people who understand Christ at the core, they they long for more to come. And what Paul does is he sees the radical God-centeredness, the radical Christ being the core of this church, and it leads him to offer praise to God. And what's coming out of his heart is because of the work that's happening in them. It's what happens when one of our staff introduces me to you, And as you walk away, they say, Mark, someday, sometime, i got to tell you the story of what God did in that person's life. That's awesome. For you and for the glory of God. Or it's what I experienced Saturday morning, 9 o'clock at the Brookside Park in downtown Indianapolis with my three boys walking around seeing the North Side at Brookside event. And I'm seeing bags upon bags upon bags of donated goods. I'm, seeing, I'm hearing 200 plus people that came from College Park to help unload um, the, the materials, get them all set up. And like 500 people in the neighborhoods are coming out buying stuff for, for pennies on the dollar. And I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm seeing the music in the background and these, these, these folks that are ministering to people and praying for folks. And my heart is filled with gratitude to you and for you, but it's filled with gratitude. God, this is your thing. This is about you. Us loving people here and helping and Corey and all the things that are going on with Kids Church. That's awesome. And what Paul says is this creates gratitude in our hearts where we focus on God and say, God, this is all about you. And then finally, where does all this come from? And this is, of all things this morning, the most important. Paul says, look, gratitude to God Faith, hope, and love, this is springing out of your hearts. But what is the foundation of this? Where does does a person like this find the ability to live like this? Where does this kind of perspective come from? Answer, Paul says, it comes from the gospel. It comes from the gospel. It comes from Christ and Him crucified. So undergirding you in terms of your life change, producing gratitude to God, is this firm foundation of the gospel. The person, the work of Christ. Look at verses 5 to 8. The gospel is described here as the word of truth. It says of this you heard before in the word of truth. The gospel. So the word of truth, that's the gospel. It's the truth about our sin and our separation from God. And thank God he told us that we were sinful. (laughs) Thank God he told us that he was holy. If God hadn't told us that, we'd never know. And we'd strut our ways to a Christless eternity. We'd strut our way all the way to hell, fully convinced we were right. And yet God was gracious and merciful and told us the word of truth. The gospel also is described as here, alive. Look what it says. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. It's bearing fruit and growing. So here's this this gospel that's alive. This good news is full of power. Notice also the gospel involved hearing and understanding. Verse 6b, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So what happened is they heard the gospel message, and like Lydia in Acts 6.14, God opened their eyes so they could pay attention. It, it, It struck through, and who knows what the messenger was. Maybe it was some lame old preacher somewhere who preached the gospel, and God used a lame old preacher to speak the gospel to your heart. Or maybe it was some other phenomenal message that God used. Regardless, the messenger doesn't matter. The fact is it was God who opened the eyes of your heart. And the gospel came. And then he says, and this message came to you by Epaphras, verse 7. Our beloved servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You see, this is the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the simple message that Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection, offers to those who place their trust and hope in him that you can be free and forgiven of your sin and made right with God. That's such a simple, powerful truth that is woven through all the threads of the Bible And that message of the gospel that Jesus Christ and him crucified can you can receive forgiveness and freedom that simple message can radically change your life. And when you receive it changes everything about how we live. So don't think for a moment that the gospel is just about getting you into heaven. Don't think for a moment. It's about getting you saved. The gospel gets you saved. It gets you a right relationship with Christ. And then the rest of your life. Listen, you live in light of the gospel. The cross now informs your life. You see, everything through the cross, everything through Christ. Christ was the core when you came to Him, and He continues to be the core all the way through your entire life. And believers in Jesus who don't live in light of the gospel all their days miss the very heart, the substance, listen, and the power of where gratitude could spring from. If you remove yourself from the beauty of the cross, you remove yourself from the power of the potential of gratitude in any circumstance. Christ provides the freedom. He provides the foundation. Notice this. The Father receives the glory. The Son is the one who makes the foundation possible. And then notice, faith, hope, and love. Who produces this stuff? Spirit produces it, right. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all working together to produce life change in you such that your heart could reflect the glory of Christ, the glory of God, and such that your life could become a conduit of gratitude. So faith, hope, and love. It's amazing when people get a hold of this and they connect it to the cross. Let me put some handles to this for you. See, living... With Jesus as the core can become a life characterized by Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the amazing faith, hope, and love of a faithful wife to an unfaithful husband who living in light of the cross says, Jesus, I know you can change my husband. I choose to forgive him. I believe that one day you will make sense of all this pain. That's the gospel. It's, it's living in the shadow of the cross. It's the amazing faith, hope, and love of a dying man who says, Jesus, I know you won't abandon me, and even when I die, you're going to be there, and so I'm going to use the last days of my life to magnify and glorify you. I am going to preach Christ as a dying man. That's the gospel. It's, it's a man or a woman who looks back on their life filled with horrible abuse in their past, Who through the lens of the cross says, Jesus, I trust that you rule over everything, even the bad and unfair stuff. And I choose, I choose Christ through you to look at my past through the lens of Christ-like love. And I choose to believe that you can take what people intended for evil and you can use it for good even though I can't see how right now. That's the gospel. It's the amazing faith and hope of a couple who woke up today and it's Mother's Day, and everyone else is happy it's Mother's Day, but you're not. And you sit in silent pain because five months in a row, or five years in a row, you've stared at blank pregnancy tests. And you've thought, why won't God give us the desires of our hearts? It's the couple that says, Jesus, we don't know why you won't give us the desires of our hearts, but we choose today through the cross to trust you and we won't let this divide our love for you or each other. We choose to believe that this suffering is not pointless and one day you will make all, make sense of it to us. In the middle of all this though, we simply say we want to be like Jesus. And we go to church with joy. So, if you don't know the gospel, if you've never received Christ, you have no power to look at those things like that. Zero. You, you just have to figure it out on your own and it won't work. It won't work. There's no way. And if you know the gospel, you've got to take the cross and you've got to see everything in light of that and then people see your life and they go, man, I'm so proud of you. You're here today. I know this is a hard day, but you are here with joy and gladness. God bless you. I know it's Christ in you. That is grace and growth. It produces gratitude. That's the radical stuff. What about stay-at-home moms whose nemesis is Cheerios on the ground, right? like, ah, that's the, I got Cheerios. And if I see one more Cheerio, I'm going to go to the roof, right? What do you do? You see Cheerios and cleaning diapers and you serve serving give your family and you see it to the cross. You say, this is how I serve you, Christ. I never think I was going to have a master's degree in Cheerio picking, but I'm here. And so I, I choose to believe that this is my calling, It's middle management people who've been passed over for promotions because you won't sacrifice your family for your next career move. And you've chosen, you know what, I'm not going to be pro-corp and anti-family. It's teenagers who are ridiculed because you refuse to be in the wrong places, say the wrong things, or watch the wrong stuff, and people make fun of you. And what do you cling to? You cling to the fact that nobody, nobody, nobody can touch your inheritance in Christ. So let them talk. Let them say it. You just keep living for Christ. It's grandmas and grandpas who have to pray from a distance as their hearts break, as they watch their kids and their grandkids make bad choices. And they just go, if we could just, what do we do? What do we do? And they sit on couches and look at each other and hold hands and pray and cry. And they say, Jesus, you know where our grandson is. You know. You go get him. You get him. For your glory, get him. And it's faithful servants who serve in nursery and children's Sunday school. Week after week, you serve in a parking lot in the rain and no one says thank you. And you keep doing it, getting wet and serving Christ and taking care of kids. And you do it for the glory of God because you don't do it for thanks or gratitude from people. You do it because you love Jesus. That's the gospel. So, Couch Park, you need to know that there have been multiple times since I've been here with the history of what God has done in your lives... And past, I just look at it, I shake my head and go, amazing, glory to God. And I see present fruit all around us, creates within my heart, a sense of real gratitude to God. I find myself at times shaking my head, dumbfounded at the amazing stories of what God has done in our midst. And I just want to tell you, as an outsider coming in, I have glorified God more in the last number of weeks than I can even tell you of just saying, God, you have done some amazing things here. But I'll tell you, I'm not satisfied with that because you need to know that um, I'm not only grateful to God for you, but I'm zealous for more gratitude, more, more glory to God, more uh, God-exalting, spirit-empowered, gospel-grounded, Jesus-centered growth that, that people look at your life and they know you and they say something like this, you know what, I know you. And there's no way that could happen apart from the work of God. And they look at your life and say, wow, God's at work. And you say, yeah, man, it's not me. It's Christ. It's changing my life. And people look at your life and say, let's thank God. And they say, God, thank you for the grace and the growth. In the midst of all the things that could beg your affections and your desires, let's remember this morning that God wants us to be zealous for his glory, and the way he receives maximum glory is when we say things like, I don't know, it's not me, and it's totally Jesus. It's totally Jesus. So Jesus, everything about the Lord's table is about you. And I pray for brothers and sisters today whose hearts ache, because you've got them in a vice, cancer, or a past that just is so tough, or present reality of what this day is, or something that no one else knows. And today, as we come to the table, we just want to release that and say, Christ, through the cross, we just want to say, we trust you. So, Father, I pray that if anyone doesn't know you, that today would be the day when they... Place their hope in you, Christ. Thank you for clear evidences of your workings in our lives. Thank you for people whose lives so radically change that it pulls gratitude out of our hearts to you. And we just want to say, Lord, we want to give you more glory. And therefore, we want to change and become like your son even more at any cost. So give some of us today faith to pray that and really mean it.